Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ, a packed podcast today. But first of all, I want to thank you so very much for sharing the podcast. Um, As you know, we don't do any advertising. We don't set out an email blast or anything. And we are censored and shadow banned on uh, big tech media. Uh, They are um, not, uh, we don't, we don't, well, they don't approve of our (laughs) message and our content, basically. But thank you. We had a record number of podcast downloads in the month of January. And I don't know what's going on. I think it's God, of course, but God works through people, doesn't he? So big thank you right off the bat. Um, We have so much to get to today, but I I will be touching on an article by Abigail Schreier. She's the author of a book that was once banned on uh, social media and even on Amazon, but I believe it's now available. It's called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. And so we'll talk about an article. It's actually a speech that she gave, uh, I believe it was last year, at, um, where was it? Hillsdale College National Leadership Seminar. But I want to start with a quote from Francis Schaeffer, the theologian, once said this, Truth always carries with it confrontation. Truth demands confrontation. Loving confrontation, nevertheless. If our reflex action is always accommodation, Regardless of the centrality of the truth involved, there's something wrong. So the question we're going to ask, particularly in the second half of this podcast today, we have a guest in the first half. Second half, we're going to talk about this issue of radical gender ideology, what they're pushing in government, big tech media, Hollywood, public schools, and on and on and on. But are there any fixed historical absolutes we can refer to in this battle for the heart and soul of our nation? If not, anything goes, right? That's moral relativism. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Many have accommodated this new religion of sex, while at the same time failing to stand up for truth, biblical morality, and decency. For example, are you okay with the fact that children are not now learning? There's nothing permanent, definite, or unchangeable about them, that God did not design them, so they can redesign or reassign or create themselves into whatever whatever image they want to create themselves in. Now, this is encouraging idolatry, of course. Kids, you can be your own gods, but this is the message that children are being bombarded with. We talked about last week, the Bible is now hate speech. Uh, There is a war on God. Pastor John MacArthur said in a sermon a couple weeks ago, this notion that you are something other than your biology is a cultural construct intended as an assault on God. The only way you can address it honestly is to say God made you, and God made you exactly the way he wanted you to be. So those professing another identity or gender are not only fighting God in his physical creation, they are fighting his sovereignty. Those who subscribe to this or these worldly philosophies, such as transgenderism, Colossians 2.8, it says, do not be taken captive by worldly philosophies. They've created a God of their own liking, and we must fear God wholeheartedly more than we fear man. We must declare, as Joshua did 
in Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We've got to stand, friends, or we will fall for anything. And as you see, our culture is going in that direction. Uh, Father, give us wisdom today. Thank you for another opportunity to speak the truth about things that matter. We praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, all that is within us. Bless your holy name. We lift up this podcast to you and pray that people would be informed, challenged, encouraged, and equipped. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our guest today in the first half of the podcast, we're going to hear the story of Brad Hopp. He's an entrepreneur and farmer who was severely injured in an accident when trapped under a tractor, and Samaritan Ministries was there to help him through medical and and physical issues. And then something happened. Brad is now on a mission to help rescue girls from sex trafficking, and he found a creative way to help them. Brad Hopp, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you. How are you today? Hey, good, Brad. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, You're over in Iowa. Uh, We're in the Midwest. We're we're neighbors in a way. Um, So I just want to get a little bit of background on your story. I've I've been reading some of this. It's fascinating. You are from Lawton, Iowa. Um, Mm -hmm. You were farming for however many years. Share with us how long you were farming, what else you were doing, and then how you got injured and uh, you were a member of Samaritan Ministries. And we'll just let you go with it, brother. There you go. So I was born and raised on a small dairy farm here in Iowa, and and uh, we went through the farm crisis in the early 80s, and, and I was told not to go into farming, you know, um, as a lot of kids in my in my uh, age range were. And so I went to college and, and um, pursued that for a while, and, and it really wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, so long story short, I ended up getting married, and, and my wife and I bought a small acreage about four acres and so we're not big farmers but we have our our cattle and our chickens and and whatnot and stuff but mm-hmm. um here about uh it was april 13th of 2017 i uh we were doing some work on our acreage here and and i was cleaning up uh, for the spring and and had a um a loader full of dirt on my tractor and i normally would just pull out onto the highway and go down the road just a few hundred feet and then come down through my ditch and, and, uh, and, uh, go to the back section of our property to, to dump, you know, whatever I was getting rid of or whatever. And, uh, I have gone through that ditch 500 times probably. And this time my loader was heavy. I knew I had a load of, a heavy load of dirt in it. And so I went down through the ditch and, and, but I went, I changed how I went in instead of going nose first, I went in more sideways to kind of ease myself down in and stuff. And, and, um, what I didn't see was there was a small little like four inch deep dip on the shoulder of the road and it it barrel rolled me sideways into the ditch from about six feet up from the shoulder down to the bottom of the ditch was about six feet. And, and, um, we live right on, uh, us highway 20 and stuff. And so, you know, we're on a pretty major highway. So somebody was coming down the road and saw me go over and, and, um, when the tractor landed on me, it landed the rear, the passenger side rear tire landed on my pelvis and Ooh. was was still in drive, so it's still turning. And oh. I reach up and I find the axle blind. I can't see it, and I can I can hear the battery sparking. You know, looking back, you can hear. You don't you don't stop and think about it at the time, but you you can hear things. And and I was I was hearing the battery spark, and I'm just like I've got to get away from this thing. And so I found the axle and pushed and and. 
people are like, oh, that was adrenaline. And I'm like, the tractor weighed 8,000 pounds. I pushed it off one-handed. That was not adrenaline. Oh, my God. I know I had angels. I know I had a lot of help. And, in fact, the guy that was my driver's ed instructor in, in high school years ago um, uh, is an EMT, long-time EMT. He was an EMT back when I was in school. And, and uh, um, you know, this would have been, what, 88 or something like that. So that I took driver's ed and he was a driver, he was a EMT back then. And, and, uh, so he's seen a lot of accidents and a lot of farm accidents. And he goes, there's no way Brad should have walked away from this. He goes, My there were so many miracles that day. And, and, uh, well, Brad, let's talk about that one for a minute. I didn't know that was part of your story. This, you said the tractor weighs about 8,000 pounds. Yeah. You, with the loader on it. You were trapped under it, mm-hmm. uh, the, the wheel or whatever was on top of right. your, your waist, your pelvis. And, yeah. Some you got out of that? That yeah, that that's that is a miracle actually. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, so I pushed the tractor off one-handed and and I mean wow. it was it was laying upside down completely. So it was on its hood and when I pushed I was able to just get just enough clearance that I was able to get out from under it and crawl 5 or 6 feet away from it with the broken pelvis and oh. and I knew what I'd broken. I knew right away what was wrong. Ooh. And um uh, so I crawled that five or six feet and that was as far as I was going and laid down on my back and, and that was it. And, and my son heard the commotion of the tractor and he heard the commotion of, of the guy that saw me go over who had stopped. He heard us yelling back and forth, you know, and, um, and, uh, that guy asking if I needed 911 and stuff. And, and, um, so my son comes running over and, and sees the fire that the, the tractor started on fire. Cause the gas tank, it was an old farm all 400 and, and the, um, uh, fuel tank was right ahead of the steering wheels. Well, wow. the battery was right under the, uh, under the seat. So, um, you know, they were in really close proximity. So when that oil or the gas started pouring out, the tractor started on fire and, and, um, so my son's trying to put it out and, uh, the EMTs were, we're at the firehouse waiting to go do a controlled burn with the fire department that day. We're all volunteer guys, you know, and, and, um, so they were waiting to go do a controlled burn that day. And, and, uh, so when the night call came in, the EMTs were there within probably seven or eight minutes. Wow. I mean, there were so many miracles. That, it, was, that is, it really was amazing. Well, well, one of the reasons I wanted to hear your story and introduce you to our listeners, Brad, is because people have struggled for years with the whole healthcare system in America, mm-hmm. and and yep. a lot of times when people get severely injured and there's all all other complications, not just right. a broken arm, right? This was a broken pelvis. Yep. Um, sometimes they're they're not all covered by insurance, or they have to right. pay a massive deductible. So first of all, other than your broken pelvis, which is enough, tell us right. what other issues you had, and and. Uh, what you had to be treated for, and then then finish your story on how the EMTs came and finally got you out of there while the tractor's on fire. Yeah, so it was it was uh, it was a broken pelvis. I fortunately um, they were really concerned because your pelvis has, you know, a majority of your blood vessels and blood goes through your pelvis, mm-hmm. obviously, um, and uh, uh, and so they were really concerned about internal bleeding and stuff. Um, so the right side of my pelvis had crushed into the sacrum. The left side had pulled away in, in, the, in the front. Um, the sacrum is the triangular bone at the bottom of your spine. And, and then in the front, your pelvis will never break in one spot. It always breaks in two. It's like a pretzel. Really? And um, so it broke in the front, too. And, and uh, um, 
so they they got there and and got me off to the hospital. Well, nobody in Sioux City could do my surgery, uh, and so they had to send me to Omaha. I ended up with one of the top two surgeons in the nation for my type of surgery. Praise God! Um, wow. And <laughs> and so they were able to uh, screw everything back together, and and uh, you know pelvic surgeries are not cheap. I mean, it was it was going to be a hundred and I think one hundred and thirty or one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the surgery and and the recovery time. And wow. Um, you know the rehab. It was it was basically two weeks of in hospital rehab and stuff, and and uh, so. And this yeah, is in was, Omaha. Was, yeah, and then it was supposed to be. Oh, go ahead. What? I'm sorry. Oh, I was gonna say when it you get to be, when you went back to oh. Iowa, how long was your recovery time and the hospital checkups, the therapy, and everything? How long did that last? That sounds like it must have been a lengthy process. Well. It was supposed to be, and that's what I was—that's uh, what I was going to say. Was <laughs> it was supposed to be three months of no walking, six months of no working, um, six weeks after the surgery, I walked out of my follow-up appointment, and uh, then two weeks later, I was hoofing luggage across Chicago here, going to pick up another fire truck because I used to deliver fire trucks and actually still do part time, but. Um, uh, Anyway, so I was dragging luggage across Chicago here two weeks after my after my discharge. Well, you were walking. Yeah, I walked about a about a half a mile across Chicago here. Did the doctors advise you not to? Were you doing this against no. their orders? What happened? No, they no they they at six weeks they were like you're you're good. You've done everything we needed you to do. You've worked really hard to get your recovery and. <laughs> And and you've you've practiced and you've done your exercises like you're supposed to. So, wow. you know, you, I still had some therapy I had to do as far as just rebuilding muscle and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but, uh, um, but yeah, I was discharged, and they're like, "Go for it," you know. Just if you get tired, stop and rest, and you know, but go for it. So, wow, amazing. So, uh, one of the reasons uh, we, we want to talk about this is because some people are looking to either change mm-hmm. their health insurance or they don't mm-hmm. have any insurance. And so we right. wanted to get more information on what you had gone through. Years ago, years before your accident, you had joined um, Samaritan Ministries and you had been a right. member. And right. um, so they apparently there's about 284,000 uh, members, individual members mm-hmm. of Samaritan Ministries. They they like mm-hmm. follow scripture. Galatians six two is is a verse I pulled off the website that says, "Bear one another's burdens, and mm-hmm. so fulfill the law of Christ." Tell us a little bit about that. How you were introduced to Samaritan Ministries and what they actually do for you. That's very different from a typical insurance company. Right. So we've been we had been part of another uh, health sharing Christian health sharing organization uh, for a number of years. And the big difference between Samaritan and this other company, I really respect what this other company is doing, so I'm not going to bash on them at all. Mm-hmm. But the big difference for me was that with Samaritan, I send one payment a year to the company to cover overhead. I know exactly what of my payments are going to cover overhead at Samaritan, and I appreciate that. And I also know that the 11 other payments that I make every year are going to another member. Hmm. With this other company, you'd send all your payments to the company, and they would send it out to all the all the members as as you know as needed. And I really personally, I really like that that concept of I know that I'm helping one of my brothers and sisters. Hmm. It's not going through some big corporation. It's not going through some you know nameless entity. It's going through 
right to my brother and sister and and so that's been something that I've I really that's probably the biggest thing that I really appreciate about Samaritans. The next thing would be just that that every time you call in and and have something you have to discuss with them or whatever, they're they're more than willing to uh take their time, they will pray with you at the end of every phone call. It's not just, you know, oh yeah, but maybe by the way, let's uh let's think about it. No, it's every time that you get off the phone with them, they're going to pray for you before wow. before they let you go and stuff. And and that's the thing that I really like about Samaritan is it's just it's more of a community and it's more of a uh, it is Galatians, you know, whatever that scripture reference was, Galatians three, where we're bearing each other's burdens and we're we're looking out for our brothers and sisters. I know what that person, um, you know, I may not know the full details, but I know that they had a heart attack or or you know something and i'll know a little bit about their thing and i know how to pray for them then too wow. so that's really neat so samaritans ministry samaritan ministries.org mm-hmm. they have a contact number it's a toll-free number we, we will put that in the blog when we post this podcast online in a few hours uh at standupforthetruth.com um, well, Brad, are you, uh, you, you mentioned delivering fire trucks too, before we take a break in a couple minutes here, I want to hear a little bit about that. You deliver fire trucks. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I, my brother was a volunteer fireman for years and, and he was looking at retiring from the soil conservation service or the NRCS. And, and, uh, um, when he was thinking about doing that, he had been chief of the fire department that he was on for a while and, and, they had taken delivery of a new truck and the guy that delivered it to him was the then owner of the of the company that I subcontract from and and uh so he said to my brother he said you know if you're ever looking for something to do he said give me a call and so my brother decided to start delivering fire trucks so then I'm like well I already have my CDL I said you know a class B CDL I can't drive semis or anything but um I was like you know help a guy out and stuff and and uh so um so we had started doing that and and uh that was 2012 so 10 years ago i guess and yeah wow that's really neat so brad we've got two minutes left um we are going to take a break and when we come back we're going to talk to you about what god opened up for you and mm-hmm. how he revealed the, how he put this desire in your heart to help sex trafficked young girls and women right and you're on a mission now you're helping them mm-hmm. particularly in asian countries through teshua t did mm-hmm. i say that right Yep. Yep. Teshua T. Teshua T. Go ahead. Yep. It, it means deliverance. The it's the Hebrew word for deliverance. deliverance. And, and uh, so I don't. I couldn't think of a more appropriate word without being completely cliche. I couldn't think of a more appropriate word for for our name. So. Wow. So you started Teshua T, and also mm-hmm. you're helping um, young girls actually have jobs and work, so they don't have right. to. Uh, go into sex trafficking. And we want to hear that story, so we're going to take a break right now. We've got a lot more with Brad Hopp of Lawton, Iowa, a member of Samaritan Ministries, and uh, he had a spotlight on their website last November, a member spotlight, and we'll link to that here in the podcast notes at standupforthetruth.com. And then a little later on, we've got to talk about uh, a pregnant man and pregnant person emoji coming to Apple iPhones and more on the transgender ideology run amok on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We've got Brad Hopp with us today, 
And uh, Brad, let's just right off the bat, you know, I opened up the show with a little introduction on what we are going to be talking about in the second half of the podcast today. It's really sad how our children have been Mm -hmm. bombarded by this demonic transgender ideology that ignores the existence of God, the creation of God, making female and male, making uh, human beings in in his image. Um, Brad, you said there's a connection uh, between mm-hmm. the transgenderism and sex trafficking and that lifestyle. Can you explain what you meant by that? So, and I'm going to make a lot of people mad on this, but... Not our, but, not our but, listeners. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, not our listeners, but on the other side. But, yes, yes. But I really don't care because it's the truth, and I care about kids, and I don't want to see kids hurt and abuse. And here's the fact of the matter. If you walked into a, into a um, homosexual bar, and homosexuals will tell you this off the record, um... If you went in and you started questioning them, you know, pretty much 99 to 99.999% of them have been molested when they were kids. Um, I have a, a, a good buddy of mine that, that was from um, Alabama that, that he struggled for years with his identity. Not He was a Christian, and, and he it was a psychological struggle. Um he thought he might be homosexual, but he had been molested when he was a kid. I have another good friend of mine that was mm. molested as a kid and struggled with homosexual tendencies. And and so when you see people that are either transgender, don't know what gender they are, um, are, are homosexual or whatever, you can pretty much guarantee 99.999% of the time they have been abused as, as a kid. Hmm. And this the the sexual abuse of children, this is one of the reasons that God said, you know, it would be better for you if a millstone would have been, would have been hung around your neck and you'd have been thrown into the sea wow. than for you to hurt one of my little ones. Yep. He takes it seriously, and, and, and I take it seriously when kids are hurt and abused. And and, and that was one of the reasons we started to shoot a tea company. My, my business partner is actually a missionary in communist asia and for security reasons we don't talk about what country he's in but um it's a very large one over there mm-hmm. and uh people will figure it out i don't care but just for for their uh uh ease of of um i'm not going to give them any keywords to search for uh oh, anyway that's fine. so the um this country um brothels are not allowed per se it's kind of like America. They're under the under the table, but they use karaoke clubs as their brothels and stuff. And and so a number of years ago, he um, he was running a restaurant as his cover to be able to evangelize in this country. And he had two young ladies came in to apply in his restaurant to be waitresses, and they both became Christians eventually. And they both had a heart to see the girls come out of the brothels and stuff. And so relationship is really important. So mm. they started taking gifts into the brothel owners and gifts into the girls and built that relationship. And I believe that that's another example of what Jesus would have done, where, you know, the, the the religious Pharisees were always up in arms about him hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and all this stuff. But we would have never rescued the girls that we started rescuing had these girls not gone and built that relationship wow. with the brothel owner. And they said to him one day, they said, do you want to meet an uh, an American that speaks your language? And he goes, I've never met an American, let alone one that speaks my language. So sure. And it was a God-ordained setup. Wow. And this guy sat down with my partner, and, and uh, Andrew led him to the Lord, and, and this guy became a Christian and set all his girls free. Praise God. And then because 
he was still part of the or he because he had been part of the club and still knew all knew all the boys in the club so to speak. He still he had connections there and so he would give us layouts of the buildings and we would be able to send guys in to to spend the night singing. You know, you don't have to go in and participate, but you can spend the night singing. Yeah. And so our guys will go in and spend the night singing and wait for everybody else to get completely drunk because <laughs> the, the security guards are handing out alcohol to everybody all night long. And so our guys just wait for everybody else to get sauced, and then they start a <laughs> quote-unquote fight, and and we send our rescue team in, and they wow. literally start grabbing girls and carry them out to the van, and, and we have a female staff along, and she explains to the girls what's going on. Do you want to come with us? And obviously 100% of them have said yes, but then we get them into our rescue and rehab facility where we, we give them all new clothing, all new toiletries, because um, they come to us with nothing. Mm. Uh, get them medical care, crisis pregnancy counseling. Uh, four of our girls were pregnant when they came to us. Um, three of them chose to keep their babies. Uh, and they're actually recovering. Side note, they're actually recovering faster than the one that chose not to. Wow. Um Hey Brad, she's recovering, re- but it's not really a quick. Class. Really quick, I need, I need to ask you the connection when you were injured after your accident with the tractor mm-hmm. and your broken pelvis. How did you come to this uh, idea that you know? How did God put that on your heart that you wanted to help uh, sex trafficked uh, girls and women? Well, for one, when you're out on the road and you're 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 delivering fire trucks or any kind of truck or whatever. You go to the pilots and the loves, and you'll see the truckers against trafficking and mm, and this okay. kind of stuff. But you never really see something a, a, a visible. You don't really see a, a tangible. How are we helping these people? And and at the same time, I was wanting to get off the road. I have uh, you know six kids and and some younger ones still at home and stuff. And so I wanted to be able to be off the road and be home and 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 so. The next spring in 2018, I, Andrew was posting some pictures of the bracelets and some of the other things that the girls were making and stuff. And I'm like, you know, I could start a little business. I could have Brad's little bracelet shop or whatever and, <laughs> and something stupid, you know, and, and, and just start that way. And, and that's kind of what my initial thought was. But I'm like, you know what? I want this to be something more. And so Andrew and I started talking, and I'm like, hey, you know, how about we go into business and we split this together? And... And it just has really evolved to the point where we're wanting to work out with, with other missionaries, be able to expand this and, and go into their areas of the country and other areas of the world and, and be able to replicate. Because there is, especially here in America, there's so much recidivism from girls that have left the the, the trade and then they get lured back in because wow. they don't have the foundation that Andrew and the team are building you know, our girls learn to read and write. They learn to how to how to make all these different crafts: the tea, the bracelets, the coffee. Wow! How to harvest these things? Uh, you know, and then we're able to come alongside them and buy these things from them up front, and then we're bringing it for sale over here. And uh, and so, you know, it's just when you economically empower somebody, mm-hmm. and you're teaching them a work ethic. And you're giving them the gospel. Now you've created a three, a threefold, uh, or a three-stranded cord, basically that is going to be really hard to break, and it's going to be really hard for them to go back to that former lifestyle because they've 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 tasted the freedom. And one of our girls has has learned to. Um, uh, not only has she learned her own native language and how to read and write it, she's learning Korean. 
Uh-huh. Another girl uh, graduated from our program and started her own cosmetology um, uh, or beauty salon. Another girl uh, mm. graduated our program and, and started her own. Um, she became an insurance agent. And, wow. And has insurance agent now. So Praise God. Hey, Brad. The um, transformation can be really powerful. The website is teshuat.com. And yep. how can people, what do people do? Can you buy tea? Can you buy gifts mm-hmm. that will help? How can people help yep. this? Other than praying for your ministry, how can people help? And what, does, what do you get at Teshua Tea? So they can go on to our website, com or DeliveranceTea.com, and they can um, buy the tea or the coffee. I roast all the coffee fresh on demand, um, and we try really hard to get it without within 24 hours. Um, and then uh, they can buy the bracelets and the coasters and, and other things that the girls make, the little clay figurines and stuff. They can also go on there and they can donate um, on the donate page. Um, I don't touch any of those funds. They don't, they don't go through our business funds at all. They go direct to the rescue facility. Um, it costs a lot of money every month to, to care for the girls. It's $23,000 a month uh, approximately currently to care for, for all of the girls that we've rescued. Um, so it's expensive. We've rescued 63 girls in total. We currently have uh, 39 um, rescuees that are still with us, and two of the earlier rescuees are actually now assistant house moms and stuff. So um, they can go on and buy the products. That helps economically empower the girls. Great. I'm buying the product up front, but then they can also donate and, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So there's so, coffee and tea, and I see there's mm-hmm. bracelets as well. Are those for sale? Yep. yep. Great. Teshua, TeshuaT.com. Brad, phenomenal story. Uh, Maybe we should do a follow-up with you in six months or so to see uh, where the company's at and how much you're growing and what we can do to help. But I will definitely put this link in today's podcast notes at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Thank you for your story, for helping out other listeners as far as healthcare and putting another ministry on their heart that we can be concerned about and we can help. God bless you, Brad. All right. Thank you. All right, Brad Hopp, you can get his story at uh, SamaritanMinistries.org under the member spotlight. We will link to that at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Okay, so the teaser we mentioned earlier, uh, there's a pregnant man emoji that's going to be released. It's coming to Apple iPhones. Um, I'm not joking. I'm not making this up. And You're kind of going, oh, really? Oh, they also come in five different skin tones, right? So um, also another headline, 26-year-old convicted male trans child molester sentenced to two years in female juvenile facility. Last week we talked about uh, the Thomas, I forgot the first name, Mia, is it? The, female, the, the male swimmer who swam with the boys for three years, and now he's breaking all the records on the women's swim team in uh, Pennsylvania, University of Pennsylvania. We talked about that. How did we get here? Well, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this transgender timeline that I laid out in my book in one of the chapters called uh, One-Way Tolerance and the Transgender Agenda. I'm just going to read some headlines. This is from five years ago, and then we're going to discuss an empowering, informative, challenging, provocative article that was actually a speech by Abigail Schreier in just a minute. So let's go back to some headlines, 2016-2017. Target stores open restrooms to those identifying as transgender. Target Corporation spends $20 million on one-person bathrooms after transgender stunt sparks boycott. Dallas, Texas, man wanted for taking photos inside Target changing room. Eugene, Oregon, convicted sex offender accused of looking up girls' skirts in Target. 
Bedford, Bedford Police Department, man arrested for recording juvenile girls in Target store dressing room. CBS, DFW, shopper upset, man allowed to use women's dressing room. New York Daily News, Seattle man undresses in women's locker room to test new transgender bathroom rule. LifeSite News, sexual predator jailed after claiming to be transgender to assault women in shelter. The Mercury News, sex offender wearing fake breasts, wig arrested for loitering in women's restroom. Fox 4 News, Peeping Tom records underage girl changing at Frisco Target. New York Times, transgender woman is charged with voyeurism at Idaho Target. That means a man when they say transgender woman. Fox 25 Boston, police searching for man caught peeping in Revere Target. What's the point of all this? Well, I could go on and on and on. I mean, Seattle, Washington, man changes in women's locker room, cites new gender rule. Uh, Tennessee, man charged for allegedly filming in multi, I'm sorry, multiple women's restrooms. California, Palmdale man arrested for videotaping in women's bathroom at Macy's. Miami, Florida, man arrested after camera found in shopping center restroom. Pennsylvania, man accused of peeping in women's restroom and also faces child porn charges. Oklahoma, Edmund, man arrested for recording child in shower. Fullerton, California, man arrested for filming in Chapman University unisex bathroom. Toronto, Ontario, Canada, sexual predator jailed after claiming to be transgender to assault women in shelter. Uh, Indiana, former Chili's manager arrested after videotaping women in restroom. And California, man arrested after allegedly filming at least seven people in unisex bathroom at Starbucks. These things are not just happening overnight, friends. This I know that was five years ago. Where are we today? Well, let's talk about that. Abigail Schreier, article, Gender Ideology Run Amok. In 2007, America had one pediatric gender clinic. Today, there are hundreds. Testosterone is readily available to adolescents from places, places like Planned Parenthood and Kaiser, often on a first visit, without even a therapist's note. How did we get to this point? Well, a 13-year-old can begin gender-affirming therapy without her parents' consent? That's in Washington State. How about in Oregon? 15-year-old can undergo, quote, top surgery, that's elective double mastectomy, without her parents' permission. To understand how we got here, it's useful to begin by considering gender dysphoria. This is a very real feeling that some have of severe discomfort in a person's biological sex. Gender dysphoria is real. It affects about 0.01% of the population. Most are male. Historically, this has been the classic presentation of gender dysphoria. When these children were left alone, when no one intervened medically or encouraged what we today call social transition, meaning when they're left alone, meaning when Hollywood doesn't butt in, when they don't get things on social media thrown at them, when the public schools don't encourage it, when the Democrat Party doesn't, whoever else, when people, when children are left alone, over 70 percent of them naturally outgrew their gender dysphoria. Today, however, we don't leave these children alone. We label them as trans kids. Teachers encourage them to reintroduce themselves to their classes with new names and new pronouns. We take them to therapists or doctors, those who have practiced, quote, affirmative care. And they help the children medically transition, doing what the children want or think they want. The typical first step is puberty blockers. 
The most common of these drugs is Lupron, whose original purpose was the chemical castration of sex offenders. To this day, the FDA has never approved this drug for halting healthy puberty. I'll read that again. To this day, the FDA has never approved Lupron for halting healthy puberty. One has to wonder why a parent or a doctor would take such measures to stop a child's normal puberty. In many cases, puberty seems to have helped children overcome gender dysphoria. But proponents of, quote, affirmative care say, we need to start teaching children with gender dysphoria as soon and as dramatically as possible, meaning at the earliest ages, and treat it immediately and dramatically. Yet there are no good long-term studies indicating that puberty blockers cure suicidality or even improve mental health. None. No long-term studies. Nor are there studies that show puberty blockers are safe. We also know that in almost every case, that child, uh, that child proceeds to cross-sex hormones. These are administered to girls, for example. The girl becomes infertile. The claims made by uh, so many doctors and gender activists today that these medical transition measures for children are safe and reversible, that they are a, quote, pause button without serious downsides, these claims are not only dishonest but destructive. Prior to 2012, there was no scientific literature on gender dysphoria arising in teenage girls. That's 10 years ago, friends. What happened? The phrase rapid onset gender dysphoria refers to the subsequent sudden spike in transgender identification among teenage girls with no childhood history of gender dysphoria. We have to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about how we got here and what happened, and then we're going to revisit the transgender timeline that I documented in my book five years ago, Redefining Truth, and that is definitely what's happened, but you've got to abandon God and reject God before you reject the truth and redefine it. Um, evil is being called good. Good is being called evil. How should we as Christians respond with love and truth? More in just a minute on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Prior to 2012, no scientific literature on gender dysphoria arising in teenage girls. That was 10 years ago. There has been a decade-to-decade increase of over 4,400% in the number of teenage girls seeking treatment. Now, this is in the UK, but it's happening in America, as we know. Uh, This is the United Kingdom's National Gender Clinic. Who knew there was such a thing, right? What is behind this? What what is behind this is social contagion. The spread of ideas, emotions, and behaviors through peer influence. With this demographic, uh, that's teenage girls, anorexia and bulimia are also spread the same way. And teen girls today have the highest rates of anxiety, self-harm, and clinical depression. Why? Teen girls susceptible to this social contagion are the same high-anxiety, depressive girls who struggle socially in adolescence and tend to hate their bodies. 
Add to that a school environment where you can achieve status and popularity by declaring a trans identity. Add to that the intoxicating influence of social media, where trans activists push the idea that identifying as trans and starting a course of testosterone will cure a girl's problems. Put those together and you have a fast-spreading social phenomenon. That just took 10 years, friends. And then Abigail Schreier says, I've spoken to families who attest that 15, 20, or in one case, 30% of the girls in their daughter's 7th grade class identify as trans. These teenage girls are in a great deal of pain. Almost all of them have at some point dealt with an eating disorder. They've engaged in cutting or have been diagnosed with other mental health comorbidities. And now they're being allowed to self-diagnose gender dysphoria by a medical establishment that has decided that its job is to affirm and agree with children, to agree with trans-identified adolescents. That's turning a blind eye. One of the appalling things uh, one court noted, a court case, was that the National Gender Clinic had been unable to show any psychological improvement in the adolescents it had treated with transitioning hormones. No psychological improvement. But they're doing it anyway. America's legacy media continue to ignore or dismiss the stories of thousands of, quote, detransitioners. What does that mean? Young women who underwent medical transition later regretted it and attempt to reverse course. By the way, Walt Heyer, I think we had him on several years ago. His website is sexchangeregret.com. Walt Heyer, H-E-Y-E-R, if you want to look up his story. He's a believer in Christ, and uh, life, his life has been transformed, but he lived as a transgender for many years. So this crisis among teenage girls gets treated as a political issue, even a conservative issue rather than a medical one. And so perhaps the greatest medical scandal of our time is dismissed as a conservative preoccupation. So let's talk about the assault on women's sports now. Safe spaces. Activists are energized. They seem to be winning at this moment. But this movement promotes dangerous bills like the Equality Act, which we have talked about so often on this podcast, which would make it illegal not only to quote the Bible <laughs> on certain verses about sexual morality and, and sexual, uh, you know, biblical morality and, and uh, God's creation, um, male and female, it would make it illegal to ever distinguish between biological men and women, and thus to exclude a biological male from a girl's sports team or a women's pr protective space, whether it be a restroom, locker room, dressing room, or prison. This Equality Act would overrule all that, throw it out the door. So hundreds of biological male prisoners, as, as you have read in the past couple of years, many years actually, some of them violent felons, have applied to transfer to women's units. Where's that article I just saw? The headline. This is over at Harbinger's Daily. Harbingersdaily.com, I read earlier. 26-year-old convicted male trans child molester sentenced to two years in female juvenile facility. This is where we are, friends. So the common thread running through these topics is that the truth is being obscured by gender ideology. Lies are told about the researchers and journalists who attempt to report on the crisis of social contagion among teenage girls 
undergoing transition treatments. They're being silenced, censored. The gender ideology behind these lies is a sibling of critical race theory. While critical race activists are teaching kids that they are largely defined by their skin color, gender activists are teaching kids that they are a great many genders and that only they know their true gender. In other words, God doesn't know. Even your parents don't know. These mendacious dogmas have corrupted our K-12 schools, our universities, and our legacy media, as well as our scientific journals and our medical accrediting organizations. And there's many that we list here. Um, Give the girls testosterone. That's going to solve their problems. Put all these together, right? You have a fast-spreading social phenomenon. Um, Let's see. I've got a couple more quotes from this article I want to read before I Go to the transgender timeline. You're not going to believe all the things that have happened through the decades that we have not paid attention to. So similarly, endocrinologists, psychiatrists, pediatricians, pediatricians and researchers who are concerned about the risks of gender interventions report that they struggle today to get their research published. Those who are trying to speak the truth and sanity and common sense and biology. We're seeing a startling politicizing of medicine and science, as we know from COVID, right? Which is symptomatic of a larger woke corruption of American society. But she does say, Abigail Schreier says, transgender adults that she's met are some of the kindest people I have met in my work as a journalist. Many of them have no desire to harm women or to push transition on children. Many of them. But activists do not represent the victims. And she says, I never lie. This means I never say and will never say the tra- that trans women are women. I think reciting this lie leads, as we are seeing, to unjust and dangerous consequences for women and girls in particular. It's not courteous or right to parrot these lies. Caitlyn Jenner, he changed his name to Caitlyn. Caitlyn Jenner is a man. Now, this might be censored. We might be taken off the air for saying that. But what possible justification could there be, for instance, for telling small boys that they might be girls and and small girls that they might be boys? How do you justify that? No mention of talking to detransitioners and the truth that you hear and the damage that was done. Um, But what happens is these young women are angry and they transition and then they become politically radical. That's what she writes about in this article. In her speech, she said this. They often cut off relations with their families having been coached to do so online by gender activists. In other words, chaos is is the point. Chaos is the goal. And these troubled girls become prey for those who seek to recruit revolutionaries. Just as the destructive objective of critical race theory is to divide Americans racially, that of gender ideology is to disrupt the formation of stable families, the building blocks of American life. How do we push back? First and foremost, we must oppose the indoctrination of children in gender ideology. That means the whole LGBTQ++++ movement, right, in public schools. Are you going to stand up against that before your kid comes home and says, hey, I think I'm whatever gender today. There's no good reason for this indoctrination, and we have allowed it. Second, we must overcome our squeamishness and speak the truth in public. The ideological transgender movement must be put down. It seeks to warp children and weaken families. It's a movement that would turn our children 
against themselves, away from God, away from their parents, and against themselves, driving them to do irreversible damage. The people pushing this ideology have gotten a head start on us by perhaps a decade, Abigail Schreier writes, and she concludes, but now I think they have awakened a sleeping giant. Our future depends on winning this fight. I'll put that in the podcast notes. So now, events on the transgender timeline I talk about. 1952. Yes, 52. Christine Jorgensen became a celebrity and advocate for transgenderism as he was the first American to have a, quote, sex change. 1954, Milton Berle show began its five-year television run. One of the routines of his comedy show featured Berle cross-dressing. 1960, remember Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho? It featured a cross-dressing murderer. Anthony Perkins, right? He has split personality, identifying so strongly with his controlling mother that he became her. 1964, Reed Erickson created an educational foundation donating millions of dollars to gay and transgender causes because he transitioned from a man to a woman. And uh, hmm. one doctor said a mutilated male pumped full of estrogen remains just that, a a mutilated male pumped full of estrogen. Doctors, some doctors have the courage to say such things. 1966, physician Harry Benjamin published The Transsexual Phenomenon. It was a book that outlined how this, this could tr- people could transition medically. 1969, the Stonewall Inn was a gay club in New York, and some attendees rioted because of frequent raids on gay clubs. Many in the LGBT community, including transgenders, joined in several days of violent demonstrations. The Stonewall Riots, you can look up information. 1972, Sweden becomes the first nation in the world to legalize gender reassignment. Surgery. That's in quotes. 1973, the American Psychiatric Association, APA, caved to pressure from LGBT activists and removed homosexuality from its lexicon of disorders. 1975, Minneapolis became the first city to pass a law prohibiting discrimination against transgender people. 1977, Renee Richards sued the U.S. Tennis Association for the right to play professional tennis as a woman and won the case in the New York Supreme Court. 1977, friends. Renee Richards, formerly Richard Raskind. 1983, the sitcom MASH. Remember Corporal Klinger? Jamie Farr was a cross-dresser. How about 1968? Louis Sullivan founded Female to Male, FTM International, a pioneer of the grassroots movement identifying herself as female to male transsexual. 1987, the American Psychiatric Association added gender identity disorder as a classification for transgender people. And um, 1992, the first international conference on transgender law and employment policy was held in Houston, a conference. Activists, lawyers from around the country met, 1995. Phyllis Fry created an advocacy group, Gender PAC, and the first transgender lobbying day in Washington, D.C., 1995. 1999, the movie from Hollywood, Boys Don't Cry, was released based on a true story of Tina Brandon, in parentheses, Brandon, Tina, who struggled with an identity crisis and was murdered in Nebraska. 2002, the transgender law, the Law Center, was founded to change policy throughout the country and lobby. 2004, San Francisco hosted the very first Trans March. 2006, The first transgender woman was elected to Hawaii's Board of Education. 
2008, Crystal Dixon, an employee of University of Toledo, Ohio, was fined, I'm sorry, fired after writing a column critical of comparing homosexual rights to the noble civil rights movement. Uh, 2008, America's Next Top Model featured a transgender contestant. 2008. I'm skipping along here. 2009, Chastity Bono announced her transition to the public and is now Chaz. President Obama in 2010 boasted the first presidential transgender appointee, naming Amanda Simpson, senior technical advisor with the Commerce Department. And I'm going to skip around. That was Obama's administration. You know, he was very LGBTQ um, friendly. 2012, the Miss Universe pageant opened competition to transgender contestants. Friends, that was 10 years ago, if my math is correct. And then there's more. 2014, the Obama administration, Department of Health and Human Services, reversed a Medicare policy that must now cover sex reassignment surgery. Then Time Magazine, Laverne Cox, became the first transgender person to appear on the cover. And there's more in this transgender timeline that I outline in uh, the third or fourth chapter of my 2017 book, Redefining Truth. I wish I could do more, friends, but you got this article from Abigail Schreier that was actually a speech to Hillsdale College. Um, You're going to want to look up this link at StandUpForTheTruth.com and uh, today's podcast notes. Thank you for sharing this information. You are making a difference, friends. You, just by emailing or sharing this and talking about it with your friends. People are finding out about us. The truth is being proclaimed. God willing, we will continue to do as long as we have breath in our lungs. Tomorrow, Dr. Patrick Flynn of The Wellness Way joins us. We will talk a lot about medical issues you care about, and the truth will continue. God bless you, and as always, keep on speaking the truth about things that matter.